it was one of the psalmists who said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And one of the unusual things about that, he may have said that far, far away from the house of the Lord. He may have said that in faraway Babylon when he could enter the house of the Lord only through the window of memory or the back door of hope. But we are here today. We begin with a hymn of praise. We have survived tornadoes that have passed through the area, and we're glad to be together to worship God. Let us sing our hymn of praise and stand together and sing. you join me in the litany of invitation and confession. God, who called all worlds into being, calls forth new life in us today. We praise God, in whose creative purpose we are claimed and empowered. God, whose spirit calls all people to love, gifts us with boldness as we attempt to love one another. In so doing, we identify with others who struggle with faith, but who are called to faithful living. We confess that we do not always live the faith we claim. 
We do not love our neighbors and our enemies as Christ has commanded. We ask for God's forgiveness. We pause for a moment of silent confession. Beloved in Christ, God is merciful and full of grace. We are forgiven. Rejoice in the gift of love that makes us whole. Remembering our baptism and claiming God's love, we lift our voices in praise. And again, welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church and in these days when we're meeting in our chapel for worship. Especially do we welcome those of you who may be guests among us. There is on the edge of the order of service a welcome card. If you'd take a moment to fill that out, it'll help me connect name and face with you and drop it in the offering plate when it's passed. Also, if there is a prayer request that any of you have, it's an honor for our staff and for our deacons to pray for you by name and by need every week. So place that on the card, drop it in the plate, and we'll be praying for you this week. Well, as we gather on this day, it's one of the church's high holy days, but it's one of the more unknown, I think, at least among Baptists. It's the baptism of Christ Sunday. It's a time of year when there's a lot of density in the liturgical calendar from Advent and then suddenly it's Christmas, and then Epiphany last Sunday, and now here we are with the baptism of Christ. But as we think of the baptism of Christ, we also get to re remember our own baptism in whatever form that was for you. To remember your commitment to God and God's commitment to you and a community of faith that's committed to both. The scriptures that we'll hear today all echo that theme, the gospel lesson, we'll read about Matthew's version of Jesus' baptism. Before that will be a lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, which tells the story of Simon Peter, where Simon Peter preaches to a non-Jew, a Gentile who's converted, and upon the conversion he baptizes him. And then the scripture that you'll hear in just a moment comes from Isaiah. It's a song from Isaiah's servant, uh, of the Lord, and it has the odd phrase in it that this, this servant will, what, a bruised reed he will not discard, and a smoldering wick he will not extinguish. So I'm going to preach on that. As we prepare our hearts, we open our ears as well, and welcome to this Lord's Day. I didn't ask James's permission to do this, but I'm going to break from protocol and give an announcement. 
Jasper Leo Dean, our grandson, was born at 2.30 this morning, weighing <laughs> seven pounds, 11 ounces, born to Ken, my son, and Brittany Dean, and of course, my husband, Kenneth, is the father of Ken and the grandfather of little Jasper. Jasper was born in a pool of water in their bedroom with only Brittany and Kenneth there and a midwife. No, did Ken deliver him? No, Brittany delivered him. She caught him in the pool of water and they were there together. So that's particularly meaningful to me now that we're doing baptism today and I just wanted to share that. This is also the first anniversary of the day that Ken had his stroke and died one year later. Isn't that something? So I praise God for little Jasper. If you don't know much about the meaning of Jasper, and I didn't except that it was a stone, but look it up. Pretty phenomenal, the meaning of Jasper in ancient history and for us today. Thank you. The first reading is from the book of Isaiah. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant people. A reading from the book of Isaiah. I'm not quite through, sorry. A light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Here ends the first lesson, and shall we join in prayer? Gracious God, our Father and Mother, <coughs> sister and brother. We come to you with heads bowed and eyes wet with tears as we take in the events at home and around the world. We need you now to impart your way to us to give us hope and courage to carry on. It is so hard to see that your way is not hatred, violence, and war, 
but it is to offer support to all those who are weak so that they can be uplifted and not broken or abandoned. We feel ourselves like broken reeds, and yet we know that you cared for the least of these, not trampling down the reeds or using force to snuff out a small candle. But you will establish justice through faith and perseverance that comes when we give praise to you. As we walk in your way, we know that new things can come. There's a 99-year-old woman who knits hundreds of hats for children in a domestic violence center in Chicago, bringing comfort to the bruised reeds with a warm hat. Students in a Minnesota University clothing design school learn about mass production of clothing by producing specially designed dresses for orphans in Uganda, made from fabric donated by China. Every day we see more and more examples of individual and corporate acts of love and service. Maybe these small gestures will work in faith to bring justice and love over the power of terror and war. We are tested this week by physical earthquakes and by the ever-present fear of the quaking of the earth by ground or nuclear war. Guide us and keep us faithful to continue to believe that our individual lives matter and that you can use all the good that we do in your name. We are reminded that Jesus was without sin and yet he insisted on being baptized himself by John to show that he, without sin, takes our sins on him and takes them away. We rejoice in how your saving power can empower us to love more, forgive more, nurture the helpless more, and hope more for lasting peace. Our prayers of gratitude come to you for preserving us to this day. Our prayers come to you to comfort those in our midst who are suffering and in pain. We pray that we will live lives that will be pleasing to you and that we will trust that every small act we do can work toward a lasting peace. And now we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying boldly, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle Peter proclaims the inclusive welcome of God, a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. 
That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear. Not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Here ends the second lesson. I'd like to invite all the children to come forward for our time together. We're going to gather right here in front. And if you have an offering, uh, Pastor James has the plate. And if you would put it in, that would be wonderful. I'm going to let you touch it in just a minute, okay? Oh, I don't know. Hey, Abigail, come join us. Come, come. We have room for you. Okay, just a minute. So in this bowl that everybody is so interested in, I have got what in here? We have rocks and water. Rocks and water. Everybody go ahead and reach in the water and take one. All right, once you have one, if you will sit back down on your bottom. That would be good. Abigail, did you get one? Mary Frances, did you get one? Van, did you get one? Everybody take one. Okay, Van's got to get one. You got one, Leah? Pastor Daniel, you have one? And Pastor James, you have one? Okay. So, you guys, can you hold those up so everybody can see them? They're, what are these? They look like clear rocks. What do we pull them out of? Water. The water. So, I wanted to give each one of you one of these so that you could look at this when we're talking about our story today of Jesus getting baptized. I thought these rocks looked a little bit like like water almost because you can see through them and they're shiny and I think they can they kind of take on the light and move every which way kind of like water does and I wanted you to have one because in today's story we talk about Jesus getting baptized and I thought these looked I thought they looked real special and real precious and our story today about Jesus being baptized it's a precious story because when he was baptized something amazing happened everybody look up at the sky the whole heavens opened up and it says that the spirit of god came down upon him like a dove so maybe do you think it looked like a dove or do you think it flew down fast or maybe they felt some wind as it came down what do you think it could be and that's what we heard today it's a precious story because when you're baptized, like Jesus was, he came and asked John to baptize him. When you are baptized, it's so precious because God claims you and we rejoice with you 
God claims you for his very own child. And I think that each time each of us are baptized like Jesus, I think he's well pleased like it says in our story. They heard a voice when the dove came down. And I think that God is well pleased with each of us too because we're all God's own children. So I want you to take your your water pearl today with you and I want you to think about how precious it was that Jesus was baptized and God said when it happened how he was well pleased and he claimed Jesus as his own precious and beloved son and daughter okay daughter too he's a son because he was a boy but daughters too okay so you take that with you and you think about how precious it was that even Jesus was baptized and we're baptized too Everybody got one? Let's say a prayer. Dear God, thank you for the blessing that is baptism, and thank you for our story today. Help us to always remember and think on how precious it is to be claimed and rejoiced in by you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go, guys. Everybody got one? Mr. Gilmore, leave on. You got one? The gospel lesson is a reading from Matthew. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. 
I was baptized when I was 10 years old. And I remember that when I was baptized and taken beneath the water, I kept my eyes open. It's funny what you remember as a kid, but it just seemed important to me because I didn't want to miss anything. I, I really remember going under the water and looking up at the faces that looked down at me Faces plural, as in Wilton Averett and Don Harbuck. You've heard my story that it took two to baptize me. It took a deacon and the pastor, because the pastor, Don Harbuck, had had polio as a young man, and it had taken his shoulder muscles with it, and he couldn't lift his arms. But he trained a deacon to do the baptizing. I've always been proud of that. Don stood in the water as well, saying the holy words, but then Wilton Averett was there as the deacon to do the hard work. I've always liked that division of labor. <laughs> words, work, deacons, ministers. Anyway, it happened. But I remember seeing their faces through the refraction of the baptistry's water, and their faces shimmered like the light through stained glass windows. You would have thought that my open-eyed baptism would have altered my eyesight for the better, kind of like spiritual cataract surgery. It should have made me see more clearly, lovingly, prayerfully, faithfully. It didn't. I was a 10-year-old kid. But I guess maybe it has helped at times, perhaps time-released uh, healing. It comes in fits and starts with me, how my vision comes and goes, like uh, the baptismal lens to see race and racism and deal with America's original sin of slavery. It's taken a while for my sight to clarify. It's taken a while of the need I have to be right more than the need to be in good relationship. It's taken a while to shed off my need to hunker down and be defensive rather than hold hands open and do the hard work of love. I guess you'd say that my anxious astigmatism has been a slow work in correction and process. But one thing I think the waters did do, or at least they helped reinforce it, they encouraged my eye to look out for the obscure, that is, for the weird scriptures in the Bible and the twisted texts, like this one I mentioned today. Old Isaiah sings this song of the servant Savior, and he says, there's this bruised reed, but he won't discard it. There's this smoldering wick, but he won't extinguish it. You feel better now? All right. It's hard to get an amen uh, to a smoldering wick and a bruised reed, yeah. Uh, but what does that mean? What difference does it make in our lives? I mean, after all, given the kind of week we've had, and I'm not referring to the problems in the royal family either. Given the kind of week we have, even if you haven't watched the news, 
even if you were blindfolded all week, put in a soundproof room, and had your head buried in the sand, your spidey sense would still tingle of the tension that's in the air and the anxiety between us. You would know that there's some extreme symptomizing in the polarized politics du jour. So, what did, what did these peculiar scriptures have anything to do with the lives in the week that we live? Well, what if the scriptures, these odd scriptures, made us a promise that if we listen closely, maybe it will help us this week with our self-compassion? What if this week it helps reinforce Northside Drive's Baptist Church and our superpower of being a redemptive community of faith? What if these texts help us to go into the week with all of the electronic and emotional static that's in our hearts and in our heads, and somehow mysteriously God squelches it, squelches it enough so that we can hear the tuning pitch that Jesus heard when he came out of the waters long ago. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. You are my beloved. And in you I am well pleased. It might just be that you and I have our eyesight changed by these texts. So, what's up with the bruised reeds and the smoldering wicks? Here's a little archaeology 101. Thank you for asking. Reeds have always been multi-purpose. Matter of fact, some of you instrumentalists use a reed to play a saxophone, a clarinet, or you use two reeds to play a, a, an oboe. Reeds are multi-purpose. Some of these grow at the water's edge. You can make all sorts of things with them, like bowls, like the gullah, sweet grass basket weavers in the low country or like from the bigger shoots that are like bamboo, that when hollowed out can be turned into flutes. Also, bamboo are these tougher, larger reeds can be used as measuring rods. In fact, the word cane and the word cannon can some come from the same Greek root, as in a rod, that which is measuring things, that which is a measurement, almost like we use of how text got in the Bible, that they were applied with a cannon. Well, if a measuring stick is bruised or broken, you just toss it away, right? Well, not according to this servant of God who repurposes it, saying, well, wait a minute, we might can reuse that, I, it, at least at every few habitat bills that I go on. Uh, there's a foreman there, you know how it works. Foreman's watching me hammer, and eventually the, the foreman will say, you have to be better at sawing than you are at hammering. Um, come over here. And I come over there, and he says, we need ceiling uh, joists sawed, and they need each be five feet, five inches long. So I get out the measure, and I'm counting off, you know, Five foot three, five foot four, five. And no, no, we don't need to do that. Here is already a piece of wood that's five feet, five inches long. Just put it to end, to this end, mark it, saw it. Put the board next, saw it. Put the board next, saw it. Use the board as the measuring rod so you're not having to pull the tape measure 
each time. Use it as a cannon. Now what if I break the rod? Maybe it's a smaller uh, stick of wood than, than a two by six used for a ceiling joist. Well, if the foreman is like the singing servant in Isaiah, then he's going to say, well, let's not discard all of it. Come to think of it, we need some more boards that are three feet, three inches long. We'll repurpose what you've broken and still use it as well. I hear old Isaiah's song singing across the centuries that God is in the salvage business. God redeems that, repurposes that, salvages that. A bruised or broken reed, God will not got discard. Any Bible stories come to your mind about that theme? Oh yeah, the one about Jeremiah when he goes down to the potter's house, right? Looks in the window, there's the potter making uh, a pot with the clay, but it's somehow marred in the potter's hands. Maybe he was trying to make a tall, tall vase, but there's something about the viscosity of the clay that won't allow that. So instead of making a tall, thin water vase, the potter settles for an ashtray. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ken Brandt. He gave me that idea. Now I can't, it sort of burned a hole in my retina. Jeremiah's potter making an ashtray. But he repurposes it. He changes the, the purpose. It doesn't just throw it out the window. Um, think of Simon Peter. The main character, one of the main characters, in this second lesson that you heard Will Bell read a little bit ago. You could call it the conversion of the Gentile Cornelius, but I think you could also call it the conversion of the Christian named Simon Peter. Because he goes in with a myopic view of how wide God's grace is. It is for those Jewish converts, and yet he has this vision that God welcomes more than just one people. It takes two chapters in the book of Acts to tell the whole story where he walks into Cornelius' house and says, well, I shouldn't even be, be here. It's not kosher. And yet God has led me here and ends up baptizing Cornelius. What if it's true what Simon Peter says? God shows no partiality partiality. And you remember how he starts it? I have now come to understand. You think about how long that sentence took. I have now come to understand that God shows no partiality. I mean, the whole theology was that God shows partiality. A, a chosen people. Well, what if the Jews are God's chosen people, but not the only chosen people? And heresy among all heresies what if God chooses all people? Wow. God invites all. That's the story of the redemption, the repurposing of Simon Peter. He was a, he was a bruised reed, but God didn't discard him. I think of Kenneth Dean. <laughs> Not about the bruised reed. Well, I guess about the bruised reed and the broken measuring rod. And I didn't realize that today was that day of anniversary. I remember this day very well. I've told before of uh, one of my favorite pictures in my file 
It's a picture of Kenneth Dean and Will D. Campbell and a guy sitting in the middle of them. They're at a uh, cafe, a country cafe somewhere in Mississippi. So there's Will Campbell, Kenneth Dean, and the Grand Imperial Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan of Mississippi. And they're all sitting on this bench that, for the life of me, looks like a church pew. And uh, here are two liberal civil rights activists sitting with uh, Sam Beavers, is that his name? Bowers, Sam Bowers. And they're all sitting there together. But why I bring that up, Will is leaning on a walking stick. Now, if you ever heard Will talk, you've seen him on and with that walking stick. You remember the walking stick he, he carried? Um, it was unique in that it had a sleeve carved out of the top with five um, uh, wooden balls in it. When anybody would ask him about that, Will, do you really need a walking stick? He would say, no, it's just part of the act. Along with the black, wide-rimmed Amish hat that he wore. But that would uh, evoke the story. He would say, yeah, a friend of mine made this for me years ago. He made it out of discarded wood. It was part of an old, old uh, chicken coop. And when my friend found it, this piece of wood was covered in mud, dirt, and chicken, uh, chicken um, stuff that you would expect a board and the bottom of a chicken coop to be covered in. It was cherry wood. I remember him saying that. The friend cleaned it up, washed it, carved it, polished it, and gave it away. And Will would always say, it sounds a lot like what God does with us because God is in the salvage business. If you've walked in today covered by or carrying what doesn't belong to you, this could be good news. You don't have to carry it out. God is in the washing business, the reframing business, the salvage business. You feel broken or bruised or crud-crusted God will not discard you, and that means you, and that means me as well. A smoldering wick also, the text says, a, the servant Savior will not extinguish. You know, it turns out that these lamps and candles that we use around here are high maintenance, are they not? Just ask Kurt and Teresa, ask Virginia. Uh, you have to tend these wicks. You have to fill this oil. And they don't let me fill it anymore because it looks like the Exxon Valdez up here. When I try to pour that oil in these, it, it, they're high maintenance. As a kid, I had a kerosene lantern, and I carried it out when I was about 10 years old to feed the animals in the barn. We had a horse and a goat and a couple of chickens. I would carry it out, especially in the winter. The days were short. And as you know, with a kerosene wick, if you have too much wick, it smokes and clouds the globe, prevents the light. If you have too little wick, dial it down too much, there's not enough light and you can snuff it out. There's always this balance as the wick is being consumed. The text speaks of a smoldering, dimly burning wick, but the servant of God will not just say, well, forget about it, will not just snuff it out. What does that mean? Well, again, in the Wednesday morning Bible study, Amy Taylor told a story, had an insight. 
She said, what if the smoldering wick, this is the, the light that's nearly out, is the Jewish faith of the exiled deportees? I said, let me write that down. What if it is they who are in faraway Babylon, 600 miles from home, and the bright light of Jerusalem's temple, once strong and fierce, confident and convincing, was now a dim memory, glare, barely glowing and almost snuffed out. The exile's frail and fragile hope was almost gone. But here is the servant savior in Isaiah's song with a fanning hand brings it back to life with the breath of God acts like a bellows and the flame keeps on growing and glowing. Not because of the persistence of the people, but because of the attentive presence of God, there is oil and there is wick. It is sort of a, uh, a uh, Hanukkah kind of hope where there will continue to be enough. Every Sunday, at least one of us walks into worship with a smoldering spirituality where it's almost going out where you're close to giving up and sometimes Lord is it I and the answer is yes it could be you it could be both of us the miracle of miracles there's something in this song of Isaiah that you hear a song that you hear a word that you get a hug from a friend when you come to worship or a handshake from someone who cares. It could be just the silence in between the pews that the Spirit of God whispers to you. And against all odds, the flickering light of your faith and love is able to make it one more week. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to some of you when I visited you in the hospital. It's not uncommon to hear someone say, I know I'm supposed to keep the faith, but my grip is awfully weak. And sometimes I don't know if I can hold on. And you've heard me say, well, my faith is a lot like that sometimes too. But what if faith is not so much the strength of our grip? What if it's about the consistency of God's grip? What if it's that we're not holding on to God what if God is holding on to us? Maybe that's what I needed to see when I was 10 years old looking through the refracted lens of the baptismal waters. And maybe that's what Jesus saw when he did the same as the flapping and fluttering dove floats down on him and he coming out of the water wet behind the ears and in the ears Here's this voice from above telling him, Jesus, you've just signed on for the big story of redemption. And it's far larger than one small lifespan of a human's life. It's bigger than any one of us can contain. You are my beloved. In you I am well pleased. This I believe. You remember a few years ago, I think it was as a Lenten series that we did the This I Believe series, and some of the 
lay people. Some of you took a, like a Thursday night and you spoke from your heart and your head of this I believe and it was extraordinary. I, I can still see the faces of those who spoke and, and your hearts are beautiful in your believing. Um, this I believe. Spoiler alert, Daniel and I are thinking about a sermon series this, sermon, this summer called This I Really Believe. It's not so much Edward R. Murrow recast, but it's stuff that we really believe. And here's one of them. I really believe that there is nothing wasted in the life of a Christian, but that all is salvageable by the grace of God. Our failures and our futures, our sins and our successes, there is nothing wasted in the Christian's life. To me, that matters when life is in tatters. It matters in times when it feels like it's past time for good people to do what is loving and just. It matters that there is something greater than ourselves that has a hand in the choreography and the dance of our own lives. It matters to me that I think this is part of why Jesus chose to be baptized in fulfilling all righteousness, as Matthew put it. He wanted to visibly link his life with God's big story, big enough for all to see that has been in motion since the Big Bang. Our God is in the big business of salvaging. A smoldering reed, God will fire up. A smoldering wick, God will repurpose. It's true for us, even today, every day, especially right now. Amen. As we remember the gift of our baptism that keeps on giving and keeps on repurposing, we sing a song about that and about John's preaching on the banks of the Jordan. It's in your hymnals. The title is curious, On Jordan's Bank, the Baptists Cry. Sounds like minutes from the finance committee meeting to me. But the word cry is not a verb here. It's a noun. The Baptist cry announces. The cry announces. The John the Baptist sermon announces that the Lord is nigh. So awake and listen, for God brings good tidings. That's the song. Let's stand together and sing.
service, I want to bring a few concerns and celebrations and a couple announcements to you. Uh, first, uh, we'll be kicking off the new year with Triple E on Tuesday. Jordan Clark will be interviewing Randy Carando and Dan Bellman about uh, their experience with Boxwoods. So come on Tuesday, and if you haven't uh, made an RSVP, if you could contact Barbara Ashley about that. We look forward to seeing you there. Uh, church and Conference will meet on January 26th, and we'll also have our traditional Super Bowl Sunday on the 26th. So be getting your new soup recipes ready to debut on that day. A few prayer concerns to bring you. Uh, first, celebrations. We, of course, celebrate with the Dean family for their new grandbaby and with the Wooten family for the new grandbaby. So we celebrate with new life. Got some uh, difficult news this morning uh, about um, from the Manley family that Clay Manley had a, a fall, a very serious fall last night and is hospitalized at Eastside Hospital in Snailville. And I've reached out to uh, Teresa, as has James, and we'll be in close contact with her about his progress. I'm planning to visit with them on Thursday, so we'll bring your love and the prayers of the congregation with me as I go. And we pray for Australia, we pray for the Middle East, we pray for each of you. May God hear our prayers, and may we continue our worship with music by the Sanctuary Choir.
We give thanks for your grace that has brought us together and to gather on this day. For we have gathered for worship, we have gathered for praise, we have gathered to return gifts to you as symbols of our love. And also we sing of, of gathering at the river, the river that has been and being since time began and will go to the end of time and at which all of us stand, every people, every nation, and we will all sing that yes, we will gather at the river. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. As we prepare to go, we take each other's needs and cares and prayers in our hearts, as well as each other's celebrations. We give thanks that Walter Grant is back today. It's been three months since he has been here because of surgery. He says he's on the three-month plan now, once every three months. 
I said others are on that plan as well, obviously. We give thanks uh, for our baptisms, for the memories, and for the hopes of them. So as you prepare to go, remember this. May the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage this day and every day as we prepare to go in peace. Amen.